The number is one 990 help at the We get rolling here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, and we'll get to the injury calculator and fightformyltd.com. You should know about both those. We will dig a little deeper into those as the uh, show progresses here over the next hour. We always start, Savannah, with the, uh, the week that was. What has been happening? A lot of things have been happening, yep. John. Let's just dive right into it. So a question came to me on the uh, popular website, mydisabilityquestions.com. And this came from Stacy, um, and, and she wrote, I have been on LTD for over 24 months, two years. My doctor and the insurance company's doctor that I was sent to both state that I'm not able to work. Why is the insurance company hiring another company called Key Facts to further investigate if I am disabled? My psychiatrist told me that this key fact company is really bothering him. Mm. Why are they still looking for more information when their own psychiatrist states that I am disabled? Any ideas on what is going on? Is Sun Life trying to cut me off? If they do, do they just want to stop my payments? My doctor is feeling harassed. Wow. Wow. That's, that's the reaction I had. So let's break this up. We're dealing with long-term disability, Okay. Lots of people are on long-term disability and they find themselves battling their own insurance companies when, on the other hand, they're trying to get better, mm-hmm. right? They're trying to get off disability and here they are being essentially bullied by their own insurance companies. And here's what's interesting about this case. So Stacy has been on disability for over 24 months, which means that she has now surpassed that extra two criteria, yeah. two-year mark, which means that she's probably qualified under the any occupation test. And for the new listeners out there, in long-term disability cases, the test to qualify for LTD is that for the first two years of LTD, it's can you do your own occupation? Yeah. And for beyond the two-year mark, the test becomes can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience? So clearly here, she's qualified beyond the 24-month mark. And the other interesting thing is that the insurance company sent her to their own psychiatrist, and the defense psychiatrist agreed that she cannot work. So, you know, here you have uh, Stacy's own psychiatrist who says, listen, I'm really bothered that the insurance company is not listening to me and they're not listening to their own psychiatrist and instead are hiring this other third party to look at the case. Now, Stacy, let me answer your question. I've already answered that. Uh, And people can go to the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. You'll see all the questions and answers that have been sent my way. And the answer is, Stacy, that yes, the insurance company is trying to figure out how to cut you off. They don't want to pay you until you're 65 years old. They don't want to. Remember, insurance companies are in the business of saving money, of making money, and they don't do that by paying out right. indefinitely, right? So my suggestion is that you contact me. Let me get this adjuster, this insurance company, off your back. They need to understand that if they cut corners, if they do something that is illegal, if they do anything that harasses you, incidentally here it seems like your own doctor is feeling harassed, if they continue doing that, that we are more than ready to start a claim against them. And, you know, they haven't cut you off, but my sense is that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to cut you off. So perhaps with my involvement, me communicating directly to the insurance adjuster, we will be leveling the playing field. They're going to be a lot more careful in what they do with you because they'll know that now there are legal eyes looking at everything, at every email, at every phone call that is held, and you won't have to deal with them, incidentally. As soon as we get involved, and people out there really need to understand this, as soon as we get involved and we are now helping you with your LTD claim, 
We are the ones dealing with the adjusters and the insurance companies, not you. They're not allowed to call you. They're not allowed to email you. They're not allowed to write to you. They have to go through us. And John, man, I can tell you, the amount of stress that that relieves for people who are on LTD and their families, it's just unimaginable. Right. And it's not coming from me. It's coming from countless people that we've helped. one 888 What else you got going on? Well, there's another website we've been talking about, which again has become really popular since we launched it because it's so simple. The concept is just beautiful. It's called fightformyltd.com. And again, if you go on it, it's a, it's, a, it's a simple page. On the left-hand side, it's got some information about long-term disability. Uh, so if you're not the one necessarily who are listening here uh, who are fighting LTD, but you have a friend or a family member or a colleague, someone that you know that may have some use for this information, direct them to fightformyltd.com. Yep. On the right side of the screen, when you go to that website, are five simple key questions. And uh, by answering those questions and pressing submit, I get those emails myself, those submissions, and I will tell you if you have a case or not. And sometimes I'll ask for some clarification, but generally I can tell you just from looking at those answers to those questions, those five magical questions, Mm -hmm. simple questions, whether you are uh, in a position uh, to fight the insurance company's denial. And those questions are very simple. How old are you? Have you been denied or cut off long-term disability? The nature of your disability, do you have doctors or treatment providers supporting your claim for disability? These are all like yes or no type questions, right? Very basic questions. And the last question, why has the insurance company denied or cut off your long-term disability claim? Let me run through one of those. Uh, Mm -hmm. This one came to me um, uh, just a few days ago from Amber. She's 42 years old. She says, yes, I've been denied long-term disability. She has fibromyalgia and bipolar disorder, so it's a psychological slash psychiatric disorder. Mm -hmm. Do you have doctors or treatment providers supporting your claim for disability? She says, yes. And I'm asking here, why have you been cut off? And she writes, uh, they're unable to determine my disability. Um, my my cutoff is under appeal. I've been denied twice, huh. uh, and and I've applied back in 2015. So again, you know, if you are denied or cut off long term disability, I can tell you right now, uh, going through the appeal route is a waste of time. Big Do time. not appeal. Give me a call. I've already told Amber that she has a case and we can help her. We'll take our uh, first break here. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number you want to call anytime. Email you want to throw us one. We'll get to a few of those. During the show this hour, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. one 990 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Continuing with uh, some more stuff that's come by your desk, pal. What's going on? Well, there's another lady here, um, uh, Terry, who contacted me. She's from up north in Aurelia. Uh, and uh, she, she was cut off LTD, or she's been told that she would be cut off as of April 8th. Uh, so we're now in March. She's being told... In a few weeks, you're going to be cut off. And why? Because the insurance company says that she can return back to work. The problem is that she has back and hip issues. She has a family doctor. She's a physiotherapist, a chiropractor. She's 58 years old. Uh, you know, she uh, she doesn't know what to do in this case, right? I mean, you're basically told as of April 8th, you're going over a cliff. You're not going to get any more payments. And of course, people don't know what to do. So many people, in my experience are like ostriches, right? I mean, they just bury their head in the sand and they hope for the best. They hope they're not going to get cut off. They do. You don't have to wait until you're cut off. Call me beforehand. 
You know, the amount of times that we have interjected and intervened during those periods of time, right? Just when the person's told they're going to get cut off and the time of cutoff, we've intervened and quite a few times we've been successful in getting P- in getting adjusters to reconsider right. uh, the cutoff. And it's not because they like us and it's not because they like our clients. It's because they understand that once we get involved, we are giving them a choice. Either you reconsider your position and we give them, you know, an in-depth analysis as to why it is we think that they are right. wrong. So either they do that and reconsider and don't cut our client off or they can proceed to cut them off and they're going to get a claim, a legal claim right. against them the very next day. Yep. And, and, you know, from their perspective, if they end up cutting the person off, they're going to have to explain to their supervisor or manager or whoever it is that's looking over their caseload, why is it that you got us into this mess right now? Why do we have Sivan Tumarkia and his team of lawyers? Why are they after us right now? And, and, you know, that's crucial here because essentially we are, and I've said it before, leveling the playing field. They can't pull with you a regular person, someone who is battling them and battling their own illness at the same time, the same thing that they can pull with us. They can't pull anything with us because we know exactly what the bag of tricks is. We know exactly what it is they're trying to do. Right. And, and, you know, none of this is, is brain surgery. This is not complicated stuff for us, for me and my team. We see this day in and day out. And so if you're in a position or you know someone who is in that position where they've been told that they're going to be cut off LTD, don't buy it. Don't simply assume that, you know, that's it. It's set in stone because oftentimes it is a poker game. The insurance company is simply betting that nine out of 10 people, legitimate people, legitimate claims who should not be cut off, that these individuals will simply walk away because they think they can't take on they don't the know how to company. Fight. They don't know how to fight. Exactly. Don't do that. Don't just give up. Do not just give up. You're potentially foregoing thousands and thousands of dollars owed to you and your family, and you're just giving it away to the insurance company. At the very least, talk to us. It'll cost you nothing. We're going to give you some information, and then you make a decision on how you want to proceed. What's wrong with that? There's absolutely no reason why anyone who is in that position or knows someone in that position not to call us or not to contact right. us to speak with me or one of the lawyers I work with. And that's all we do. It's these kinds of claims day in and day out and not get the information that's going to make you more informed and decide how you want to proceed. Simple number, one 990 Again, email if you're bashful, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here. Bra- email Brad from Belleville says, my wife, 43 years old, has worked as an account executive for over a decade, suffers from bipolar disorder, sees a psychiatrist. She uh, was approved for uh, short-term disability and then for long-term, but we just received a letter a few days ago that she won't be considered totally disabled after April of 2017, which, uh, you know, it's about two years after she started getting her benefits. Apparently, this is based on a psychiatrist she saw two months ago at the request of the insurance company. Can we do anything about this? Yes, Brad, you can. And and interesting, this is a bit uh, different situation than um, one of the uh, cases that I was just speaking about. Uh, So in this case, Brad, uh, clearly the psychiatrist that was hired by the insurance company has given the conclusions that the insurance company was looking for, which is that your wife is able to go back to work. And what I would do in this case is I would take that report. Uh, you're entitled to it, by the way. Don't don't uh, simply let the insurance company tell you that you can't get a copy of it. Get a copy of it uh, and do two things with it. The first one is make sure your wife goes through it to figure out if there are any inaccuracies. Many of these reports that are drafted by these doctors for the insurance companies contain inaccuracies. Because remember, this evaluation, this assessment 
by the insurance psychiatrist would have taken probably a few hours. During that time, the insurance psychiatrist would have asked her wife a whole bunch of questions, right? So the report is going to have a lot of substantive information that your wife allegedly gave the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to undermine the insurance doctor's reports is to have the individual who attended the assessment, in this case, Brad, it's your wife, go through the report and say, no, I never said this, I never said this, this is incorrect, that's incorrect. And so what happens is, you know, you're essentially creating a situation where that defense report is a house of cards and it will simply fall apart if there are enough inaccuracies because then you call into question the uh, truthfulness and accuracy of the psychiatrist that was hired by the insurance company. So that's the first thing that should be done, that the report should be combed for inaccuracies and inconsistencies by your wife. Even though she signed it? She would not have signed it. This oh, is something, no way. No, no, no. The oh, psychiatrist would have signed it. Exactly, yeah. No, in fact, she would not have seen this report until the insurance company would have given it to Brad or his wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So make sure you go through that, and I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you, just based on prior cases and me myself having worked for insurance companies, most of these reports are full of errors, okay? That's number one. Number two, Brad, get your wife or, or you perhaps uh, with her consent, take that insurance company psychiatric report and give it to your wife's psychiatrist to look through and have your wife's psychiatrist provide a rebuttal. Have your wife's psychiatrist write why why it is that in his or her opinion, the insurance company psychiatrist is completely wrong. Submit that to the insurance company and see if they are still going to take the position that she's going to be cut off in April. So these are very important things, and we can help you with that. So just give me a call afterwards or email me if you want. I have a few more tips for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, certainly this is something that uh, needs to be looked at. Don't just let that psychiatric opinion uh, j- just lay there, and don't let the insurance company just do whatever they want to do with your wife's claim. We'll take a quick break, and tomorrow your emails as well, one 990 and help at the you got some time, check out Fight for My LTD. Dot com as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. The number one 888-990-9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Mary, our friend, says, uh, she's from Barry. Mary from Barry says, my father slipped and fell on a wet floor in a grocery store January 31st, broke his hip. The manager came right over and apologized. Apparently one of their fridges has been leaking for a couple days and they didn't have any signs up. He was taken to hospital. Would the grocery store be responsible for his injury? I've had to uh, take a lot of time off work to help him, and I'm still off work because of this. Well, okay, so this brings me back to my days as a defense lawyer. Uh, you know, when I was working for a, a fairly large law firm, right? Uh, and I was given this kind of work by insurance companies to defend these kinds of stores and, and uh, entities that were clearly negligent. Right. I mean, this is just, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer to figure out that if the fridge has been leaking for a few days and there are no signs anywhere in the vicinity warning customers that there is a leak. You messed up. You messed up, exactly. Uh, I really hope there were some photographs taken, that there was an incident report that was created by the manager. Uh, I'd love to see that. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, Mary, it's a very, very significant claim. Uh, hip fractures, and we've talked about, uh, about them uh, quite a lot here, uh, particularly for older people, they are just, they're life-changing, they're life-altering. Yeah. Someone who could have been completely independent in, in their activities of daily living, independent in terms of what they do uh, at home, uh, showering, getting out of bed, etc., now could potentially need help for the rest of their lives, perhaps, yeah. you know, perhaps being in, in a home. Now, you said that uh, you've taken a, a time off work to help them. Uh, and you're still off work. Well, 
And this is something that comes up in quite a few cases. I see that uh, in car accident cases with brain injury type situations, uh, spinal injuries, and more serious type claims, where the family members have really shouldered a lot of the um, work that has to be done to help the family member uh, after their injury, either get better or just take care of them, etc. And so the law does provide for compensation for such um, losses, for, for such things. And it's under the Family Law Act. It's Section 61 of the Family Law Act. That applies in a slip and fall case, in a car accident case, in any injury type of a case in Ontario. Section 61 essentially uh, says that uh, you as a family member are able to recover for, and then it lists what it is that you can recover for. So one of the things you can recover for is actual expenses reasonably incurred for the benefit of the injured, uh, for the person who's been injured or killed. Um, You can also recover for funeral expenses if there is a death. Uh, You can recover for uh, travel expenses uh, if you've had to visit the person, right? I mean, a hip fracture here, I have no doubt, Mary, that he was in the hospital for quite a while. So if you have uh, 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 travel expenses, uh, parking, gas, all that. And then then that section uh, goes on to say that you can recover if you've provided nursing or housekeeping or other such services, right? As well as any reasonable allowance for loss of income. So if you lost income because you had to take less hours to help your father as a result of the negligence of the store, you can be compensated for that. So it's very, very important, very, very important people to understand that when someone is injured in Ontario because of someone else's fault, and here it's so clear that it was the store's fault, very, very important to understand that the family members who have been impacted by this have potential derivative claims, claims that derive from the main claim of the injured individual. And, you know, I've seen many cases, again, as a defense lawyer, where uh, the lawyer representing the injured person would start a claim for the injured person mm-hmm but would not include any of the family members, even though the daughter, the, 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 the son, the spouse, you know, would, would be beside them, you know, night and day, would be doing the shopping for them, the cleaning, okay, so everything. How do you calculate that? If I'm shelving snow or shopping or getting groceries or being bedside, is it, do I an hourly wait? What do, how do I calculate myself for services? That's exactly right, John. It's, huh? an, it's essentially an hourly rate. So okay. the way you do it, there's different ways of doing it. 300 but, but, bucks an hour. Well, so that's the thing. You have to be reasonable. That's why, <laughs> yeah, Listen, that's why the, reg- the regulation is there. Uh, to to uh, you know, make sure people like you are reined in, uh, so you're not charging a thousand bucks an hour. Uh, you know, nice try. Uh, but you know what we do in our cases, especially when we're dealing with with very significant injuries, right. hip fractures, brain injuries, or, or you know, in any case where really it's a legitimate, legitimate expense and time that the family member uh, puts in because right. of the injury. Uh, we will get experts. We will get someone, perhaps an occupational therapist, to come into the home to really assess the person's needs and what the family members have been doing for them. Right. They'll, they'll prepare a report, a comprehensive report, and we will have an accountant tabulate the amounts. Give it a proper dollar amount. Yeah, and they'll cool. take a look at what's out there and what's reasonable in the industry. Right? And at the end of the day, if the defense, the insurance company takes issue with that, okay, well, you insurance company, you come back with a different dollar figure. That's okay. You have a dollar figure, we have a dollar figure, let's negotiate now, cool. right? That's the deal. But I can tell you again, having worked as a defense lawyer in the past, the amount of lawyers out there who don't understand this concept or ignore it altogether, people are losing 
literally tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars because the family members are not included as claimants in those claims. And that could be included if a neighbor's doing it as well, anybody outside, correct? So that's interesting. If a neighbor's right. doing it, they will not fall under the Family Law Act, but okay. but you can then create a contract between the injured individual and the neighbor, right? The neighbor is now helping you uh, cut grass or, or cut snow. Okay, keep a chart of when that was done, for how long, what is the rate, reasonable rate, and that there is an IOU, right? So now it becomes an out-of-pocket expense that the injured individual has incurred because of this injury, right? As part of their injury, they now owe this neighbor $5,000 for X, Y, and Z, and here's how you substantiate that with all these uh, diaries and charts and whatever it is, records you have, and the neighbor, of course, will corroborate that's what they've done. Very, very important. These things can add up to thousands and tens of thousands and even more dollars that can be claimed. And the insurance companies will pay for those. I'm telling you that because as a defense lawyer in the past, I told my insurance clients to pay for those kinds of expenses. If you don't claim them, you're not going to get them. It's as simple as that. And keep meticulous records. Yes. Huge. The the records are very important. And again, when I was working for insurance companies, I would be looking to see if this claimant or their lawyer is telling me that the services provided by that son or daughter or spouse to the injured individual were worth a thousand bucks an hour, mm-hmm. there would be a problem with that, right. John. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number. Email is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. The injury the insurance injury law show. It's right here, Talk Radio, AM six forty. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Get to more of your emails here very shortly. Got a question though, uh, as it pertains to long term disability and car accidents. And basically what happens if someone's injured in a car accident? Uh, they have a claim there, but they also have an L T D case. Two separate lawyers, you do it all, what happens? We do it all, absolutely. And, and, you know, we've had situations happen um, where people have come to us just for the long-term disability because they have a car accident lawyer. Listen, I'm never going to tell you to switch to me um, if you're already with another lawyer. What I may tell you by looking at the other case you have is whether or not that case is progressing the way I think it should progress. But I'm not going to tell you you should switch to us. I don't think it's ethical. I don't think it's moral. And I don't think it's right. That said... By going to different law firms for different types of things, particularly when those those issues intersect, LTD uh, and car accidents, injuries from car accidents, they intersect. How they intersect? Because if you were in a car accident and it was someone else's fault and you're starting a claim for compensation and at the same time you cannot go back to work and your insurance company has denied your claim or cut you off, I'm talking about the long-term right. disability insurance company, and you claim against them, if you have two separate lawyers and two separate law firms, you're at risk of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. It could be messy. It could be very messy. And, And the problem is that if you don't have that coordination, it means that the chances of maximizing your compensation on both fronts goes down. It's just that simple. That's why I always talk about the fact that we not only do car accident cases, slip and fall cases, long-term disability cases, but also employment cases. Sometimes they go hand in hand, right? They they almost always go hand in hand whenever a person has issues with going back to work because of injuries or a disability. Very, very important. I mean, whenever we have cases where we have one or two or three lawyers at our firm dealing with the individual because of the multiplicity of the cases that we have, I'm telling you, we have regular meetings amongst the lawyers to make sure that we are all coordinated in our attack. So no, you do not need to have separate lawyers. And in fact, I think it's less efficient and there is a higher risk that if you have two separate firms working on issues for the same individuals that intersect, a lot more of a chance that you're going to recover less 
than if you were doing everything under one roof. That's just my opinion. The uh, email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Don writes in uh, from Hamilton, says, I was hit by a car when I crossed the road near my house last November, broke a tibia. Uh, I had surgery and I'm still using a cane to walk. I'm 62 years old and was not planning on retiring from my work as Canada Post courier, but now uh, I think I'll have to because I can't do the job. What's going to, what's, who and what's going to pay me for my injury? Okay, so Don, excellent, excellent question. I'm really happy you 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 um, wrote in, and because there's going to be a lot of people in your position, yeah. you've been in an accident, whether it's a slip and fall or it's a car accident or whatever it is, and you're thinking about now retiring earlier than you otherwise would have been because of your injury. So here's something that is crucial for people to do in that case. Okay, you can quote me on this. If you are retiring. Because you cannot continue to work as right. a result of your injury, you make sure that your letter to HR, to your company, saying that you will retire, that it lists the reason, that it says that it's because of your injuries. And I'm not saying you do that if that's not the case. Okay, very important. If, in fact, because of those injuries from this accident, you are now going to retire and you notify your company that you're going to retire, you make sure that letter specifically states the reason, that it's because of those injuries. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because you're going to start a claim, presumably now, um, given the type of, of injury you have yep. done, against whoever was at fault for the accident here, right? I mean, you're crossing the road, so there's a reverse onus, right? The driver is going to be assumed to have been negligent, the one who hit you. At some point, at some point, it's going to come up with the insurance company, with the defense lawyer. It's going to come up the issue of, well, you're retiring anyways, so you don't have any income losses in the future. And that's when you end up getting the employment file, and the employment file suddenly contains that letter that Don wrote to his HR saying, I retired because of my injuries. Well, now it's a different ballgame altogether. And if Don was making, let's just hypothetically say, $50,000 a year, and Don was uh, supposed to be working for the next three years, and he lost that 50000 per year, well, you can just do the math. It's $150,000, right? It's not that simple. We would get an accountant to factor in contingencies, et cetera. But the point is, if you are going to retire earlier because of an injury, you want to make sure that that is documented. Because if it's not documented, if the only letter that is in your employment file is that you just retired, I can tell you, you're going to have a problem down the road trying to persuade the driver's insurance company that you retired because of this injury. You may scream, you may shout, your lawyer may do the same, but that letter, if it's there and if it's written correctly, that letter could potentially mean tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars more in compensation that you are owed. I I couldn't picture anybody not sending that letter in, saying I retired because of this. I'm telling you again, as somebody who- Not that say anybody's- (laughs) Stupid, but I mean, come on. But people don't think about it, John. People don't think about it, right? I mean, they're just telling their employers, listen, I can't can't work. And and listen, maybe the argument can be made down the road that, you know, if you look at the timing, the person worked, you know, for Canada Post for the last 30 years, and now suddenly he's retiring. Well, clearly it's because of the accident. Well, no, it's not clearly because of that. Insurance company can argue that you had other pre-existing issues that force you to retire. Who knows? So if you have that letter there that explains the reason, you are in a much stronger position to argue that you, insurance company, have to compensate me for the fact that I retired early. And I'm telling you, as someone who worked for insurance companies and dealt with this issue, the cases that I was up against were that kind of a letter that attributed the early retirement to the injuries. The cases that had those kinds of letters, 
I was in a much weaker position. I would have to tell my adjuster client, you're going to have to pay. It's going to cost us more. It's going to cost you more. And it did. It did cost more. So I'm telling you that as someone who was on the other side who did that and saw it. And this would be based up to, say, um, age 65 in in Don's case? Well, that's a good question, too. I mean, listen, maybe the person was going to retire at 67 or 70. I mean, that becomes an issue of credibility. And, and, you know, does it make sense that the person would have been doing that? Were there any discussions prior, you know, with the employer? Would that have been documented? Yeah, he might have said, you know, I, 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 I couldn't afford to retire 65 anyway, so I was going to work till I was 70. Yeah, listen, a lot right? of people nowadays can't, right? Hello. People take part-time jobs. And, and you know, and by the way, there's another issue here. Maybe he was going to retire from this particular job and then get a part-time job in yeah. home hardware or something doing right. whatever. Maybe now he can't do that. So the damages could potentially be yeah. astronomical. Don't let yeah. that go. Don't simply assume that, oh yeah, we're just going to deal with it down the road. No, no, no. You got to make sure that what you tell your employer now because of the accident that that gets translated into something in writing. And it doesn't have to be a letter. It can be an email. The point is, it has to be in your employment file. Because, trust me, a year down the road, when the insurance company requests it, uh, it's going to come out and it's going to hit them in the You're face like a ton of bricks. It. Yeah, 100%. one 9646 help at We'll get to another one of your emails. And lots more here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked out these websites, do so when you got a moment. The Injury Calculator at injurycalculator.ca and fightformyltd.com. That's a new one. It's cool. Five basic questions. You'll get some answers right there from uh, from Savan himself. Greg says. Uh, Greg writes in from Aurora. Says my sister is suffering from chronic pain and fibromyalgia and was denied long-term disability last month because the insurance company says that there's not enough medical proof that she's disabled. She sees a chronic pain specialist in Thornhill, and he wrote the insurance company that she can't go back to work at this point, and they're just ignoring his recommendations. Is there a point fighting this? They'll just deny it again. She's 38 years old and used to be a computer analyst. Yeah, Greg, uh, this is not unusual. Uh, When insurance companies say that they don't have enough medical proof or medical documentation to substantiate a disability, uh, essentially, I I can tell you, I mean, just anecdotally, this is probably the most common, I'll call it quote-unquote excuse that I get from insurance companies for denying claims or even cutting off legitimate claims. Uh, I would want to see some of the medical documentation because if you have a chronic pain specialist, somebody who's been treating your sister, uh, and uh, that doctor had documented the treatments and documented the diagnosis and provided a prognosis, all of which pointed to her not being able to work at this point, right? Uh, I don't see why the insurance company would be ignoring that. And if they are ignoring that, it's at their own peril. I mean, did they have your sister seen by one of their doctors? Uh, You know, does the adjuster simply think that the chronic pain doctor here has no credibility on the basis of what? I can tell you that we handle so many of these kinds of cases and we resolve them and we resolve them quickly. I mean, I'm not talking about you waiting around for years and years for this to get resolved. No, we start a claim ASAP. As soon as you can get us all the documentation we need, we draft a claim, we start a claim. The insurance company gets that claim, they give it to their defense lawyer, and guess what? The next next discussion between us and the defense lawyer is, can we set up a mediation? Can we try and resolve this? What else do you guys need? If you don't play this our way, we're going to push the claim through. You do not want us to push the claim through because it's going to be expensive for you. Insurance companies understand that. I mean, think about it from a logical standpoint. Insurance companies have lawyers on payroll, Okay. Uh, Each one of these lawyers handles, what, 100, 200, 300 cases, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
they don't want to have to hire more lawyers. They want to decrease the amount of lawyers they have. Yeah, they time. only do that by resolving claims, not by taking them to court where they're going to get hammered by a judge. So very, very important for uh, your sister, Greg, to get in touch with me or you put her in touch with me or you get in touch with me off air. Let me take a look at the documentation. Maybe we can even resolve it without a claim directly with the insurance company. It's really painless. And it's us who are going to be dealing with the adjuster, not your sister. So she's not going to have to worry about it. She's only going to have to talk to us. And we're nice. We're very nice. We're very empathetic. Trust me, I have seen this time and time again. The adjuster is going to have to deal with me and my team, and they can't pull the same stuff that they pull on vulnerable individuals. So you mentioned uh, contacting you. Generally, do people have to wait till they're uh, denied or cut off before they contact you, or can they do like a, a preemptive thing? No, they can do a preemptive, and I, yeah. I deal with a lot of people, and I answer a lot of questions at all times of day and yeah. seven days a week, even when I'm away uh, you know, out of the country because I always have a plan with me, uh, my phone with me. Uh, and really, you know, at the end of the day, people need that peace of mind. And people, people usually know when something is happening with the insurance company. They get a sense, right? I mean, the adjuster is talking differently to you. The adjuster is suggesting certain things to you that don't make sense. Like, you know, maybe you should do this return to work program even though your psychiatrist or orthopedic surgeon or oncologist or whoever just said that you cannot, but the adjuster is pushing you. You will know, generally you know when there is a problem, when the insurance company is starting to gear up right, to that point where they're going to say, uh, John, we're going to cut you off, or it's time for you to try and go back to work, despite the fact that your doctors say that you're not ready. You can be preemptive. You can call us. You can email us. It's going to cost you nothing. And I may very well tell you, John, you have nothing to worry about. And I do say that to people sometimes, you know. Sometimes people are just, you know, they just want the peace of mind. I'll tell them, listen, I've looked at everything you do not need to worry yeah. about right now, but watch out for the following three or four or five right. signs. The warning signs. And if those things happen, you then call me or contact me, and then we'll take it from there. We'll try to get Sean in here before we take a break. Says, uh, what's the advantage of having uh, you taught to the long-term disability adjuster? I've been dealing with my own wife's adjuster for months now, and it's very, very aggravating. She won't listen to me, my wife or my wife doctors, and despite what they say, they told us that they'll cut her off long-term disability in April. Can we do anything now about it? Well, Sean, that's, it's an excellent question. And, and, you know, in a roundabout way, we've talked about the benefits of having us deal with the adjusters directly. Uh, and in your email, you say that it's been very, very aggravating dealing with the adjusters. So the first advantage is that you're not going to be very, very aggravated because you're not talking to them anymore. Instead, by having us deal with the adjuster directly, the adjuster is likely going to be very, very aggravated. That's what's going to happen because they're going to hit a wall because they can't, you know, use the same, you know, bag of excuses or, or lines that they generally use with claimants who have no legal knowledge of long-term disability claims. You know, whenever you're dealing with an adjuster, and again, remember, I, I, I've said this before, I know adjusters and, and a lot of adjusters and many of them, some of them are friends of mine and many of them are, they're good people. Just like in any industry, they are there to do a job. Their job is to benefit the insurance company. And the way they do that is by carrying out the insurance company's code. And that code may be very aggravating to you because it's not in line what you think it should be. Meaning, you think they should be helping you. You think that the insurance company is there to be a safety net for you. No, that's what it should be. But insurance companies are there to make money. And one of the ways they make money is getting you off benefits. Yeah. Right, So get us involved. We are going to deal with the adjuster. The adjuster is going to have to go through us. You and your wife focus on getting your wife better. 
one 990 Check out com or the Injury Calculator as well, InjuryCalculator.ca. A few, uh, few more minutes to go here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get one from Mary. Oh, I love Mary's email. Uh, it says, I love your show and have been listening to it for the last six months. Just wanted to write in to tell you that I wish I had known you and your firm three years ago. When I had a car accident, the lawyer I hired never returned my phone calls, nice, and emails, and I never knew where I stood with my case. I wasn't happy with my settlement. I wish other lawyers explained things the way you do. Thank you. That's commonplace. That's very nice, Mary, and I really appreciate it, and thank you very, very much. Um, Mary is your mom. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to school with Mary. That's right. Uh, no, you know, it, it is nice to get these emails, and I do get them uh, on occasion. Uh, it frustrates you, though. Do. It, it frustrates me because I can tell you that I have friends who are in the same industry who I consider to be excellent, excellent lawyers. And I can tell you uh, from personal experience that they don't return phone calls uh, and they rarely return emails. And I've seen that happen and I just, I don't understand that. I really don't. I mean, you can be the best lawyer in the world, but if you are not communicative, if you do not communicate and show the respect to your client that they deserve, that they show you, why should they stay with you? Why should they believe you? Why should they trust you? So, you know, to all the lawyers out there, whether you're doing injury cases, insurance cases, real estate cases, whatever you're doing, family law, respond. I mean, honestly, some of the emails mean the morning, even if I can't get to the email because I'm doing something, I'll just acknowledge the email and say, I will respond a little bit later or my assistant is going to be in touch or there's no reason not to. There's no excuse not to. And it's, it's a really dark cloud that, you know, is always right there above for all of us lawyers. We'll get to uh, one more email to close it out here. Sam from Waterloo writes in, says, My wife slipped and fell in ice last month outside my parents' condo building. She tore her left shoulder and broke her ankle. She had surgery for ankle and screws put in. We're trying to figure out how to pay for some modifications to the house so that she can come home uh, in and out. I took photos of the area of the fall the day of the accident. And I can email them to you. She will be off, uh, not working for a while, which means that we will need to use our savings to survive. She's a personal support worker. We wrote the property manager the next day, but I haven't heard back. What do we do next? Uh, you get me involved, Sam. I'd, I'd like to get involved as soon as possible because, first of all, it's amazing that you took photos. Fantastic. Yeah. Kudos to you. Email them to me. I'd like to see them. Uh, and what's going to happen is that the first thing that needs to happen from a legal standpoint is a notice letter has to go out to the owner of the property. And the reason for that is because we have to put them on notice of a potential legal claim so they can get their insurance company involved and because we need to figure out if there are any other parties responsible here, like a maintenance company, a management company, a subcontractor, whoever. And, and, you know, you may not know who it is. Your wife may not know who it is. uh, You know, your parents uh, may not know who it is, but we will figure that out. You know why? Because, Because as soon as we send a notice letter out to a property owner that there was a fall there, I can tell you that the insurance company for that property immediately starts looking for who is a scapegoat. Big time. Can we point the finger at anyone else? And this is what we need to do. So, Sam, your wife needs to focus on her injuries. Let us deal with the legalities. Uh, broken ankle is is a very, very serious injury, as is a shoulder tear, which may require surgery uh, on, the, on the shoulder in addition to what she had with her ankle. Uh, and we can deal with that. And you can go to uh, injurycalculator.ca if you want to have a quick look as to what kind of compensation she's looking at for pain and suffering, exactly, right. not for the income loss. Right. I'll have to speak with her and you 
to figure out some details and give you an estimation of what it is you can expect to receive as compensation. But very, very important, contact me after the show. I want to see those photos and I'll tell you exactly what needs to be done. Done for another week. Some good information to be had after the show as well. A couple of different ways, as Savan just mentioned, uh, injurycalculator.ca, fightformyltd.com. There's also email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You need to call any time to get a hold of Savan. Leave a message, talk to him live. He'll get back to you right away. one 990 9646 This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM640.